Hallelujah. Okay, we just move on straight. We're still dealing with our study on what should we believe, total annihilation, eternal torment, or total reconciliation. This is part 16, and we're dealing with the issue of Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, our text remains the same, which is Philippians 4, verse 8. The Bible says we should think on these things that are beautiful, noble, uh, if I may add, of edification. Whatever thing that is for praise, we should consider those things. That is to say, we should not set our mind on things that does not build. Praise the living God. Even if things evil comes to us, we shouldn't dwell in them because they will come. The mind of man is so crazy. Hallelujah. So we are dealing with Lazarus and the rich man, which has to do with Luke 16 from 19 to 20. Uh, you know the story. Praise the Lord. You may just quickly turn over there to the book of Luke chapter 16. Let's uh, look at the story. Just one or two verses there. Luke 16, 19 to 20. Perhaps I need to remind you that uh, from Luke 15 down to 16, they are, if I may use the word, catalog of parables. That Jesus put forth And uh, we had very specific Five parables in these two uh, chapters That is chapter 15 down to 16 And we said uh, The issue of Lazarus to the rich man Is the fifth parable In that particular passage That is chapter 15 down To chapter 16 Praise the living God if you look at chapter 15, verse 3, the Bible says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, That is how he started the whole thing. And they're going to talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and just two words, and so on and so forth. Then it get down to chapter 16. And when it get to verse 19, something begins to happen. Where he break into there was a certain rich man. Praise the living God. Now there is something I want to introduce before I go into the main text again tonight. Uh, in that Luke 16, let's go back a little bit to verse 11. Luke 16, verse 11. If ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust? The true riches. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Hallelujah. And the Pharisees, please know this, verse 14. And the Pharisees also, we were covetous, had all these things, and they did what? Derided him. I want you to know the word deride. 
The Pharisees also meaning, as he was speaking, the Pharisees were there, other people were there, and he was giving up all these parables. Now get down to verse 15, and he said unto them, Ye are they which test justify yourselves before men. Please know the character of the Pharisees, very important to us. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophet. Now look at the story. Please take note of this as well. Verse 16. The law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than a one little of the law or title of the law to fail. Whosoever put it away. Now I want you to see the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. Listen to this. This one is important. Verse 18. Whosoever put it away his wife and married another committed adultery. And whosoever married her that is put away from her husband committed adultery. Can I ask you one or two questions? What is the relevance of this thing he had just said with what he was discussing? Hello? I, I don't know if you follow what I'm talking about. He was discussing money matter. Did you listen to that? He was talking about serving God and mammon, which is not acceptable or not allowed. He was talking about those who are very subsciously feeling very big among the people. And he get down to verse 18, he said, he that married a woman that is put away commit adultery. What connection does marriage now have to do with money matter? I want to make you see how Jesus was twisting the mind of people when he was teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Now think about it. If you were the one being addressed and all of a sudden somebody jumped from what he was saying to something. How do you put these two things together? Jesus was discussing money. They derided him because he said the Pharisees who were covetous had him and they derided him and he launched into a, a, a kind of discussion. And before you know it, he said, he that married a woman that is put away commits adultery. What has woman got to do? Now as soon as he finished with the issue of marrying a woman that put away that commits adultery, the next thing is, there was a certain rich man. Oh my, Jesus knew how to twist people's head. Hallelujah. I just want you, assuming you have a question or a test or an examination to answer from this passage, tell me how you pull these things together. But you see, Jesus was addressing the people who should be able to understand. That is the problem with those of us Gentiles, if I may use that word, reading this Bible. We don't know how to put what Jesus was saying together. But the people he was talking to, they knew what he was talking about. Can I show you the woman that got married to another man? So that we can understand. Because it's directly connected to the issue of the certain rich man. Romans chapter 7. Let's see the woman that was divorced. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You see, when you study the Bible, be open, like I said. Do not just take issues. Do you know people use this to teach in the, in the church as touching literal marriage? Uh, but Jesus was speaking beyond literal marriage. He was speaking beyond literal marriage. People don't know. Let's look at Romans chapter 7. Are you there with me? I'm going to read from verse 1. <sighs> Hallelujah. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Are you there? How that the law have dominion over a man as long as he liveth. 
For the woman which had an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she lose from the law of her husband. Are you seeing it? So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, listen to it now, she shall be called what? An adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. So that she is not adulteress, though she be married to another man. Are you following this? Now look at the next thing. Wherefore, this is the bottom line of what he wants to say. Everything he has said about the law, he is about to define. Look at it. Wherefore, or therefore, my brethren, ye also have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Can you get that? That ye should be what? Married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that you should bring forth fruit unto who? Unto God. Can you get the definition of marriage now? What is marriage? He was dealing with what the Pharisees were doing. Go back now to Luke chapter 7. What, I mean, uh, 16. What do you think Jesus was talking about? If you look at the verse 13, it says, Whosoever put it away his wife and married another, committed adultery. And whosoever married that which is put away from her, committed what? Adultery. There was a certain rich man. And hear this, the Bible says, the scribes or the Pharisees who were there, they had what Jesus was talking about. What do you think Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, because if you get back to verse, what verse do we have the question? He said, okay, verse 14, he said, they derided him. In other words, they spoke abusive languages about him or towards him. In the midst of the people where he was teaching. So what was happening here? Jesus was telling them, I am the fulfillment of the law. You have left me who is supposed to be married to you. Or you've been married to me. You are now still married to what? To the law. Are you understanding this? Therefore you are committing adultery. Because your husband is supposed to be dead, which is the law. That's what he's now saying in Romans chapter 7. Are you getting the picture? Because the Bible said the Pharisees, as I'm going to make you see now, they were feeling subconsciously. They were feeling big among the people. Hallelujah. Uh, they were popularly known and well known, but Jesus was not known. But Jesus was supposed to be the real man now to be married to. That's why he said, therefore ye are dead to the law. For you are married to him who is raised from the grave. Did you get that in Romans chapter 7 there? Good. So by implication, you Pharisees are supposed not to deride me. You are supposed to be part of me. But you are still tied to the law that is supposed to be dead by now. Did you get the picture? You see, this is why it is difficult for people to understand what Jesus was saying. Because just picture the whole thing. Somebody talking about marriage. Somebody talking about, I mean, a, a money matter. On just the what? Serving God and mammon. How that God is not pleased with that. And the next verse. And if you watch the whole picture, it is only this place of verse 18 that the issue of marriage came in. What is the connection? So you find that when you are studying, I'm trying to give you some keys in how you can understand your Bible. When you are studying and suddenly sitting in a concert, especially if they are made by Jesus, try to find out what they meant so that you can have a correlation. You can have the sequence of what he's discussing. But the average preacher will not take time to find all this. He 
said if there's a problem, he said yes, according to the book of Luke 16. Uh, Madam, you are free to remarry again according to the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 18. That's the way the Bible puts it, according to the word. Jesus wasn't dealing with literal marriage. He was not concerned with that. Praise the living of somebody. He was concerned with spiritual reality. And that makes you understand that the next thing he's about to say has to do with the people. It's not just one man that died or somebody that's going to die tomorrow. It was, he was discussing a present reality. He was talking to a people who ought to understand what he was talking about. In the first place, they would not even be able to understand because he's twisting their mind through parables. And, I mean, that's a strange thing. Because think about it. Either myself or Pastor Stancy, I'm preaching to you. I'm talking about money. And say, those of you who love money so much, you must understand this. And next thing, say, if anybody divorces his wife, you say, what is Pastor talking about? How can he be preaching money and talking about Abi quarrel with your wife? Abi. Is anybody following what I'm talking about? Is there any trouble at home? Did anybody come for counseling that has marital problem? Because he's teaching money. How can he just be talking about marriage? I mean, you'll be reasoning that way. Am I right? And that's the truth of the matter. Because Jesus cannot be such a daft that be talking money and launch into marriage. What's the relationship? That is because we're talking to a people who have refused him, who is their real husband. The church is supposed to be the bride. Here's the bridegroom. Did you understand that? But they are holding on to a dead system. That's exactly what they wanted to tell them. Praise God. Now just go to your outline very quickly before we move in here again. Keep your place in Luke. Go to the outline. So, Luke 16, 19 to 20. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus which was laid out his gate full of stars. Praise the living God. I want you to begin to understand there was a certain rich man after saying the marriage issue as soon as he finished that said there was a certain rich man who fed substantially and was wearing on Laying clothes, and then there was another man, was a beggar, he was always at the gate of this rich man, and he was full of sores. And as we progress, we find that dogs were licking the sores. He cannot even drive away the dogs, too. <laughs> also, weak, hungry, so that dogs will come and clean up the sores. The dogs were the nurses that were taking care of him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, as we continue with this meditation, we want to establish the fact that this is a parable directed at the people who also understood what Jesus was talking about. In the words of the commentator, McKnight, Scott Petterian, on this subject, he said, It must be acknowledged that our Lord's description are not drawn from the writings of the Old Testament, but have a remarkable affinity to the description which... The Grecian poet have given. They represent the abodes of the blessed as lying continuous, contiguous to the region of the damned and separated only by a great impassable gulf in such sort that the ghosts could talk to one another from its opposite banks. If from this resemblance it is thought the parable is formed on the Grecian mythology, it will not at all follow 
that our Lord approved of what the common people thought or spoke concerning these matters agreeably to the notions of Greek in parables, provided the doctrines inculcated are strictly true. The terms in which they are inculcated may be such are, are most familiar to the people, and the image made use are such as they are best acquainted with. Praise the living God. Now, what he's trying to say here is, first and foremost, he sees this as a parable, this one of the great scholars, like night, those days. He saw this as a parable and he said, this parable cannot be found anywhere in the Old Testament. In other words, you cannot take it to be a true story and have any link. Hallelujah. That is to say, Jesus never made reference or is not teaching based on some principles in the Old Testament. So it's a thing of his own. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? Okay. Now the next thing he's saying that the story is very close to some of the Greeks' mythology. That is the story they put together before. That is very close to it. have the same resemblance. And certainly he picked it from there. And I'm going to make you see why Jesus sometimes uses part of what they were doing to teach them. So that they can have a better understanding. Hallelujah. There was a book. Uh, I think we'll come across that later. Okay. Gamera. That was written by the Jews in Babylon. Which has a lot of the Greek mythologies put together. And they were believing it too. So they knew part of this thing. Now. Mike is trying to say. Well. He is not even saying that Jesus approved the story that it is true. But he's using it to instruct these people on certain things. Because they know it and they believe it. Praise the living God. Do you understand that? But it is a parable. You can only speak certain parable to certain people who have or who have an understanding of the elements of the thing that are found in your parable for proper comprehension. Do you understand that? Praise the living God. Okay. Can you tell me in this country the most uh, the tribe that has uh, most common languages they can hardly finish a center without a parable? Can somebody tell me? Uh, huh? The Yorubas, the Igbos. The Yorubas, the Igbos, uh, the Igbos are not even as okay. The Igbos, okay. Traditional Igbo man, they can hardly finish a story without a parable. They can hardly speak to you without a parable. Praise the living God. Do you understand that? And then the Yorubas, they have that too. Now, to the average Igbo man, if somebody is speaking, they know where he's going. Do you understand that? It doesn't take them a long time to comprehend whatever the person is talking about. Even so, same. Those who know something and you speak to them in parable, they will directly know that you are talking to them without you mentioning their name. Do you understand that? This is the application Jesus was putting across to these people. Okay. Let's move on a little bit. Praise the Lord. And this is absolutely true in this case because record has it that the Jews have a book. Written during third Babylonian captivity called Gemara Babylonium, which contains doctrine of pagan origins concerning the future state of the departed that was not recognized by the followers of Moses. Do you understand that? There was a book there, a compilation of the doctrines of pagan origins. Which they were carrying along. These are part of the books that Jesus was referring to as the tradition of men or tradition of elders. Praise the living God. So instead of believing to the word 
Actually, Moses, remember, when Jesus was speaking us at the time, the New Testament had not been written. Do you know that? Okay. Now, those who believe in the Old Testament, they were separated. For most of them who came in from Babylon. As a matter of fact, if you check the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8, chapter 7, or thereabout, you find that all those who came in from captivity, they have a record. Now, why was the record necessary? If they want to look for a priest to officiate, you know, you can't officiate unless you pass through the lineage. You have to trace your genealogy to Levi. So, most of them who went to the captivity, but then they came back, those who were left at home felt, these people no longer have the true identity of the Hebrews. Now they have lost their bearing, they have given back, you know they were in Babylon for how many years? 70 years. They are giving back, giving back to children, other people have come a generation of development. So when they came back, they don't accept them, so they have to bring the record and find out where did you come from? Who is your genealogy? They will trace you. Until you find yourself linking up to Levi, you cannot be a Levite. Are you following this? Okay. Now, what was happening? It turned out to the point that they now have two separate congregations in Israel. It's good to study, people of God, so that you can know certain things. You've had synagogue before. You know, the Bible said, Jesus went to the synagogue to preach, and he went to the temple to preach. Have you noticed that? What is the difference between synagogue and temple? It was the same Jewish people that had this too, but why? Those who came from Babylon felt they were separated, and they have not mingled themselves with other people. Remember, in the book of Psalms, they said, they demand from what a song. How can we sing the long song in a strange land? You understand that? So they were keeping their pure worship. So over there in Babylon, there were no temples. They would just gather under trees, and they would be reading the Psalms and singing unto the Lord. And people will come and make mockery of them. They say, sing us some of your songs in, in when you were in Jerusalem. How do you so sing? That's why that song came up. That song came up. Are you understanding it now? Okay. Now, when they returned home, they found that those they left back behind, who did not follow them to the captivity, they have mixed up with other nations around them. And so to them, they were no longer true Yahweh partisan people. So what happened? They chose to stay under trees and they were still worshipping the way they used to worship in Babylon. They will not mingle with those they left behind. Those who were left behind, they were not worshipping in the temple. Why those who came from captivity were worshipping where? In synagogue. That place without a covering under trees was called synagogue. That's why it's called synagogue of the Jews. Are you understanding something today? Praise the living God. Pastors will not have time to dig all of this. Jesus went to the temple, went to the synagogue, and that's all. Amen. And so our people do not have foundation as to what they believe. But this was the basis of that. Praise the living God. Now, most of those people as well who came in with these people, what am I saying? They have these books and they compile because while they were there, they were not complaining in thoughts with reality. And they were mixing up with all kind of tradition. And, you know, if you must understand, even in the days of Abraham, do you know that the laws that were in operation, sometimes when the world refers to the law, they were referring to the law of Hammurabi. He was the only law that was governing the people. And the law of Hammurabi was one of the laws that approved polygamy. And that is one of the major reasons why Abraham had to marry Hegai. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So you must understand where these people are coming from. There was a kind of mix-up 
all over the place. Now, these people have this tradition of the Greeks. They've taught so many things about the departed spirit, what is going to happen to them, those who don't believe, and they were incorporated in all of their worship. So by the time they came in, it was a mix-up. Now, we have these people who have this mix-up, and we have those who refuse to mix-up. They believe strictly on who? On Moses. So we had a kind of two camps. Now, any time Jesus may say you are following the tradition of elders, he's talking about those who have the mix-up. Are you understanding that? Okay. That's why we say that you will not believe me because you refuse to believe Moses because Moses wrote about me. So we had a few people who believed the Moses laws and the thing Moses taught, but we have a majority of people who came in from captivity believing into this camera, Babylonian. And that is where you find a story like this. About people dying and going to grave, and then two people talking on the other side in hell. And so when Jesus was talking, he knew what he was talking about. It was something he knew that the people believed into. Are you understanding that now? Hallelujah. Can we progress now? Okay. No, no, no. When I said they are among the very things, Jesus, am I correct there? Praise the Lord. Okay, we'll talk about Babylonian, which is worth. I contain doctrines of pagan origins concerning the future state of the departed that was not recognized by the followers of Moses. So we find that this story is based on heathen views. They were not obtained from the Bible, as the Old Testament contains nothing resembling them. They are among the very things Jesus queried, queried with in rebuking the scribes and Pharisees as holding on to the tradition of elders and making the word of God of none effect. He called them the living of the Pharisees. But why did Jesus have to re relate this story? It is not to give approval to it, but he related it as found in the Gemara, not for the story's sake, but to convey a moral lesson to his listeners, especially to the scribes and Pharisees, to whom he was addressing the five preceding stories, who suddenly felt the impact of his application to them. If you look at verse 14 of Luke 15, we are told, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, had all these things, and they did what? They derided him. Especially when he gave the one on what? The unjust steward. Did you get it now? Praise the living God. So he was addressing the people who understood part of what he was talking about. In fact, they understood him. When he was given this story. Now, none of you as Christians today have ever seen that book. I'm sure I'm measuring Gemara for the first time and you're hearing that book for the first time. Am I right? Hello? Aha. Uh -huh. But there are Jews who have ever heard about that book, who knew about that book in the days of Jesus. And when he was talking about it, they can directly relate what he was saying to the stories there. That is why you discover that this story and that one in Mark chapter 9 were addressed to a people who understood something. When he was talking about Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom, they knew what he was talking about. Is it clear? Hello? But you do not know. You can't understand. All you need to hear and believe is hell and hellfire. And that's all. But when he was talking to the people, they understood what he was talking about because Gehenna was right there before them. The valley of Hinnom was there, southern part of Jerusalem. Amen.
And when they come to the rich man of Lazarus, they knew the story from the Gamera. Praise the living God. Now let's progress. Identifying the characters through elements. What are these people? These characters and this element in this book. Hallelujah. Now, it started in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. I mentioned this last week. If the only thing that qualified, because this man we are not told he was a sinner. We are only told he was a rich man. And if it is because he was free, that's why he went to hell. And that's the funny thing. Every Christian should be poor to be able to make heaven. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? Is anybody following me? Okay. Then, on the other hand, like we said, if Lazarus was because he was poor, that is why he went to the bosom of Abraham. You have no need to preach prosperity. We ought to remain poor to make Abraham's bosom. I'll make you understand to progress. Abraham's bosom told the Jews speaks of the kingdom of God, the blissfulness of heavenly blessings. That is what it means to them. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. I, I like this passage because when I started studying it, a lot of good things begin to open up to me. And it's going to happen to you the same way. Now let's begin to pick some of this element. What is purple meant for? Purple is a color of royalty. Huh? Blue is heaven. I've only been telling you that. Red is earth or blood. To show blood in the face. That is Adam. Red. Show blood in the face. It's not a spirit. Earth. That is red. Blue is heaven. Like we said. Purple is royalty. Find purple here. Not a deep one. Uh, this is why you find that in the tabernacle, that is one of the colors that was used to cover it. Do you understand that? Speaks of dignity, speaks of royalty. And that is why you find that when Jesus was to be crucified, the garment that was on him or dropped on him was what? Purple. Showing that he had been elevated. The people didn't know, they just took the garment and put it on him. They did not realize, they did not even understand that God was commanding them to ordain Jesus. To elevate him, to crown him. They didn't know. So they dropped purple on him and they were mocking him. As they, you said you are the king, but truly he was a king. Praise the living God. So purple speaks of royalty. Then fine linen. Fine linen speaks of what? Righteousness. Amen. Linen speaks of righteousness. Speaks of fire. Fire linen speaks of righteousness. And it is something that is worn by the priests. The priestly garments were actually made of fine linen. More especially as they go into the most holy place. Because God doesn't actually want them to swear. That's why he said in the book of Ezekiel, they should not mix it with wool. Because wool will produce sweat. By implication, you come to the place in God where your work is going to be sweatless. Can you say amen? You just walk in grace, no sweat, no pains. And Jesus, I think, manifested the ministry of the fine learning to a large degree. Because his prayer life and everything was so smooth. He would touch you, you are healed, he would speak, it is done. No sweat. He wasn't mixing up. But we find people, priests who are not in this order, whose garments are made up of other stuff. And we find that in the course of their work, there's labor. In other words, when you are putting on fine linen, you become a priest of God, 
and you are not expected to be laboring because everything is by grace. The supply of the Spirit is not by mind, not by power, but what? By my Spirit. Did you get that? Hallelujah. So, then the next thing you find, I said, the Bible said they said sumptuously. That means they were living well. Hallelujah. So the whole thing put together was a group of people that were living well. They have what it takes to live well. So when we say a rich man, it's not you're talking about an individual. He was talking of collectively a group of people. And that is what I want to identify to you now. Praise the living God. Now, popular we say, the color of royalty and filing of righteousness. Now, it was the priest and the Levite who used to dress in white linen while officiating in the sacrificial and ceremonies of the nation. The righteousness here is that which is established by the law. Those who dress in purple, therefore, were the ruling class of the people that Jesus was speaking to. The Jews, the very church of the day. Praise the living God. Are you listening? Hallelujah. Jesus was speaking to a group of people. Now, you know what it means? The scribes and the Pharisees, Pharisees in particular, who were the custodian of the law. They had all people to them, people listening to them. Jesus said they would be the one to wear the key of the kingdom on their shoulder and be walking the streets. And everybody will be just looking at them as the more highly placed people. Hallelujah. In fact, they decide the fate of every man. They take you to their courts. So, they had every advantage to themselves as compared to other people. So, in the true sense of it, it was describing the ruling class of the Jewish people. Praise the living God. Alright. Now, specifically the royal tribe of Judah. You know, now we do know that the family of Israel was the royal family according to Exodus 19 verse 6 when he talks about your royal priesthood. That's what Peter was quoting. When Jesus and when God brought them out of Egypt, he made them a royal priesthood of kings and priests according to Exodus 19 verse 6. Amen. They were a royal family. So as as touching other nations, Israel as a nation was a royal family to God. Hallelujah. Okay. It was a royal community among other communities. Then within that community, there was a royal tribe. And what was that tribe? The tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. And now, within the people that are officiating, we now have another class. So we now have the class of the Pharisees as compared to the other people. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are not the people that can officiate and do all the ceremonies. You want those things to be cleansed, you go to them. You want anything, you go to them. Hallelujah. They enjoy the privilege of heaven upon them. So let's move on. Praise the Lord. So we can see that the description of this rich man dressing fit perfectly well to the Jewish priesthood they were the rich men of that day hallelujah amen now the next thing we find I say the Bible says they said sumptuously every day this passage described the glory of heaven that the Jews as a nation were bestowed with 
they were suddenly rich in the mercies and blessings of God the Father through the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm saying? Alright. If you want to look at Israel as a nation, there was the most blessed nation, and I think still today upon the face of the earth, because of the covenant of Abraham that they applauded into. Praise the living God. As compared to other nations, they are. Okay. It is everything that no nation on earth have been as blessed as the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. I would like us to look at the book of Romans chapter 9, verse 3 to 5. Let's look at the blessings and let's look at how the Bible describes how blessed this nation was. Romans chapter 9, 3 to 5. Hallelujah. Okay, I can take it from verse 1 if you will. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great heaviness and continue sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a cause from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Hallelujah. Are you there? Wherefore, Israel, to whom pertained was the adoptions and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and what? The promises. Whose are the fathers? That means the fathers belong to them. And of whom are what? Concerning in the flesh, Christ came, given by God to these people. They have the law. They have the glory of heaven. They are the masters of God. No other nation was ever qualified for those things. Do you understand this? Now, if this could describe the riches of glory in God, those who do not have it, what do you think they are supposed to be like? They are beggars. Hello? Are you following what I'm saying? Because if you must tap it on, now look, there's something that was, that strike me, I mean, struck me here again. He said, and pertain to the service of God. They only knew how to serve the living God. And they are the support of the people to give this knowledge to other people. I'm sure you can remember the issue of the eunuch. Where did he, where did he go to? He went to Jerusalem. What did he go there to do? To worship the living God. Are you getting that? He went there to do what? To worship the living God. Because worshiping the living God only pertains to Israel. So as at that time, if you want to serve your God, you've got to partake or belong to Israel. They are the people to show you how to serve God. Because what it takes to serve God was given to them through Abraham. Are you following this? And then the Lord have already told us that Abraham's blessing shall go across the nations. Through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
So the riches of heaven entered through Israel. I mean to Israel through who? Through Abraham. No other person who was not in that covenant has right to those blessings. Are you understanding this? Praise the living God. Now, it was unfortunate anyhow that even these people were so blessed. Instead of doing what God has blessed them with, with those blessings, they become puffed up. Do you understand that? Uh, they were not even, even trying to make people see how they can come into those covenants. They were rejecting them. Can you remember? Can you look at the story? Philip went to the eunuch. And the man was in the book of Isaiah. And the spirit said, go and tell him. And he went and asked him, do you understand what they are saying? Can I read? They said, somebody teach me. But the guy was just coming from service. He was just returning from service. And nobody was there to teach him because they were very busy with themselves. Officiating and killing rounds instead of teaching the people what they ought to know. As a matter of fact, the gender have no access to the place where the main sacrifice are being offered. Do you know that? So the Gentile nations were beggars. While Lazarus were the nation of the Jews without the priesthood and the glory of heaven upon them. I'm going to make you see more of that. Praise the living God. If I an exciting story. But I will finish with you. I will close this chapter. Hallelujah. I'm moving to total reconciliation. I really like that. Amen. Now. Have you read that we find this exactly what we just read in this book? So you find that the glory of heaven, the covenant of promise, the services of God, everything pertain to Israel. So, are you there? Turn your paper over there. We can see that the rich man was actually Judah. The southern kingdom of the Jews and the richness has to do with the promises of God. But they love the blessings more than the one that gave it to them. This is why the word says in Romans 11 verse 9. Let the whole table become what? A trap unto them. Remember what the psalmist says. In the presence of the enemy shall the Lord of Eldua prepare the what? A table. I don't know the riches. There was a certain rich man. We just take it a story. Why can't we describe everything trying to find out what are the riches that this man had? What made this man rich? I will prepare thee a table in the presence of the enemy. And Israel had a table. Properly furnished with all the glories and the beauties and the mercies and the promises and the covenant of God. They only had it. Other nations never had anything like that. They had a table properly furnished for them. But instead of giving glory to the Father who furnished the table, they were more concerned with the table and puffed up with the table. And God now said, May your table become what? A trap unto you. That is to say, the blessings they were supposed to have becomes a judgment unto them. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Praise the living God. There was a certain rich man, and we think it's a story. And they said he died. I'll make you see how he died next week. <laughs> Praise the living God. And the man died. Just like you find in Romans chapter 7. When, when, when a man dies, the wife is free to marry another. Huh? He died. Israel died. Hallelujah. The rich man also died. To die means your condition changed. Not only mean you're buried, 
We don't understand the Bible language. When you die, you die to one level of life and you move to another level of life. So if a poor man dies and he enter Abraham's bosom, that means he died to his poverty condition and entered into the promises of God. And the man that was having a promise, died and left the promises and entered into a beggarly condition to beg. And we are looking for people in the grave. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are we still here? Hmm. I'm sure I'm not doing Bible scientific uh, study with you here. Okay. It's simple, is it? Alright, let's move on. Praise the living God. Alright. So we say, let that be, become a trap unto them. Now with this riches and religion, they hated other nations and regarded them with contempt. You can imagine the Pharisees praying and saying, I'm not like the publican. Is that what they say? God, I thank you. I'm not like this. <laughs> this was. <laughs> I'm not like that. <laughs> you see my garments. I see the key of the kingdom on my shoulder. I'm not like that. Thank you, God. <laughs> the God of Abraham, our Father. Amen. That is somebody praying. Oh. I can imagine the kind of prayer. Imagine how God will receive that kind of thing. And the other public can say, Well, God, I just thank you. <laughs> I've not here. I'm a poor sinner. Have mercy on me. If you can even allow me to partake of what the Pharisees are partaking, just a little bit from their table, I'll be alright. You see the beggar? Is anybody understanding me? Somebody has a table, another man is begging. Are you understand what I'm talking about? And we think it has to do with something in the grave. <clears throat> Praise the living God. <clears throat> it's alright. So we say, study Matthew 23, and you will see how Jesus addressed these religious leaders. Amen. One to you, scribes and Pharisees. One to you, lawyers. One to you. Just go study that. And you see the way he dealt with them. Because of the way they were carrying on. Because of the way they feel. They were the most important set of human beings upon the face of the earth. We're going to look at one or two things and you see how discriminatory they were. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at, it, at his gate full of thirst, and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fall from the rich man's table. I love this. Moreover, the boss came and licked his sores. Let's interpret. Because my, my mind this time is to pick the verses and break them down. Hallelujah. Who then is this beggar? Lazarus. And maybe next week I'll let you know why you chose the word Lazarus. Next week. From what I discovered as I studied the word. Evidently, if the rich man is the Jewish priesthood representing Israel, then of course the beggar were the Gentile nations that surrounded Israel. Hallelujah. But they were not in the covenant of Abraham. But of course we are all children of God As it were Isn't it? Praise the Lord We were supposed to inherit or partake of whatever thing God gave But God made a covenant And because he has covenanted himself to someone He has already said Through you shall the nations of the earth be what? Be blessed So there is no way you can tap into God's blessing Without going through Abraham Because he swore By himself Hallelujah I want you to see how important Israel was supposed to be. 
<laughs> no, no, no. Are we there? Praise the Lord. Now, wherefore, remember that ye be in time past. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2 very quickly. I want to turn to Ephesians 2 very quickly and see what was going on. Are you there? Two, I'm going to look at this. Uh, Ephesians 2, let's look at it from what verse are we going to take now? Um, let's take 11 down to 14, if need be. Praise God. Are we there? Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, where is my Bible? Okay. Dealing from verse 11, is it? Okay. Wherefore, remember, now he's speaking to Gentile nation because he's an efficient church. Are you there? Yet being time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Remember, God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham. Hmm? All right. That at that time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, not the word commonwealth, hallelujah, and strangers from the covenant of promise. Are you there? Having no hope and without God, we are on the wall because the hope was given to Abraham, amen. How to serve God was revealed through Abraham, Levitical priesthood, and Moses, and all that. Praise the living God. Look at the next sentence. But now in Christ Jesus, you will sometimes wear a far off, far off, and made nine by the blood of Christ. Now look at verse 14. For he is now our peace, who had made both one, and had done what? Broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That's what I wanted to pick. Praise the living God. Did you get that? Now, what is this? We find that in the temple worship, just like you are sitting, this is more like the Gentile congregation now. There may be more. This is Gentile congregation. It's a Jewish congregation. The same church. The Gentile have no access to where the Jews were supposed to worship. There was a barrier. In fact, most of the areas where the Gentile people were are the place where they were selling sheep for sacrifice. Do you follow what I'm talking about? Where they do money changing, that is where they kept them. They don't allow them into the most, not to talk of the most holy place, into the main court of service. Mm -hmm. The outer court, that is where they were. They don't hang there and be watching you and see what is going on. In fact, they can't have concentration because animals, bad, bad, all over the place. You know, money changing, and you want to give up friends, they go and all kind of nations we are coming. So there were people there, no, no changing dollars, no changing pounds, sterling. You understand that? All in the outer court. That is where they had access. They can't go beyond that. Good money making business on interest. What's going on? Because if you come from Egypt, you come with your own money. And when you come, they must change it to the Israeli currency. Because they won't take any foreign currency to put into the offering. So they have tables for money changers in the outer court. And that is where the Gentile has access to. They can't go beyond that. There was that partition that broke them there. Are you understand what I'm talking about? 
Gentile nations were actually beggars as far as the Israeli covenant was what was concerned. Are you getting this? Now tell me, you are serving God and you have no fellowship with animals. Uh, is it strange for you not to be going home without understanding what Isaiah was saying? It's not strange because he was not. He never had access to where the main preaching was being done. Even if that is what they read that day, I'm sure the noise of goat and sheep right there, I would not allow him to hear. <laughs> Hallelujah! Praise the living God. I mean, you can think about that. Completely separated from the covenant of promise, without God in the world, no fellowship with the Father. Everything was nothing but ceremony, rituals. Hallelujah. Let's move on now. From the above, you can see that even the temple worship, the Gentiles were not allowed into the main hall of worship, but kept outside. In other words, they could not partake of the true services because they were not Israelite to whom the promises were made. And commonly, those who were outside of the city of God that represent true worship are called dogs. I'm taking you from where? <laughs> are you understanding what I'm talking about? Those who did not pertain to the very place where true worship was carried out. Those who were outside of the main city and the place of worship, they are referred to as what? Dogs. Huh? So, you find that dogs and Lazarus, they are fellow brothers. Hmm? I'm sure that's why the dog were helping him. <laughs> they were not punishing him, they were helping him. Because both of them had no access to the true worship. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you finding this interesting? Amen. Let's read on now. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation 22, 14 to 15. Revelation. Try to identify certain elements in this place. So that I can know exactly who they are. The Bible says we should compare scripture with scripture. Amen. I just take a passage and begin to run around. Say you're a wonderful preacher. Mm-mm. Shout amen, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah. No. People can't be established with that. Hallelujah. 14, 15, are you there? Blessed are they that do his commandment that they may have right to the tree of life. I may enter in through the gate into what? The city. Hallelujah. Look at the next thing. For without, that is outside our dogs. You can stop there. I'm looking for just one word and that is dog. That is outside the city at dogs. Outside the true place of worship are what? Dogs. So, Gentile nations are actually called dogs. Hallelujah. Is it letterous? Let's move. Now, we can understand, therefore, the language of Jesus to the Canaanite woman who asked him for the deliverance of her child after much pressure. I want us to look at that story. Matthew 15. Look at verse 22 to 27. It's 
an interesting story. Are you there? Matthew chapter 15. Amen. Somebody saying hallelujah over there. Praise the living God. Let's take it from verse 22. Are you there with me? Matthew 15. Look at it. And behold. We are reading up to what verse? 27. Are you there? And behold a woman of Canaanite came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered, Hear not. He answered, and not the word. And the disciples came and besought him saying, Send her away. For she cried after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, listen to thee, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Are you getting that? In other words, I cannot do deliverance for people who are not in the covenant of promise. Praise the living God. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet, or it is not good, to take the children's bread and to cast it to what? To dogs. Now hear this. Lazarus was begging bread or the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Let's see if this woman identified the crumbs too. Praise God. <laughs> and she said, True Lord. Yet the dogs eat of what? The crumbs. Which fall from where? Oh man. Is the story plain there? The rich man is Israel. The deliverance and the glory of God was in Israel. Every other person need to tap from the Israelite nation. This is what is precisely demonstrated here. She is a Canaanite woman. She is not in a covenant of promise. Her child needs deliverance. And she came to Jesus. Jesus said, no, it is not good to take the children's bread. What children's bread? The glory of Israel. And give it to a Gentile nation. And woman said, no, master. I also agree. But the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from where? The rich man's table. What did they tell us Lazarus was doing? Was eating the crumbs. That was falling from what? The rich man's table. Is it plain now? And we think that is what is happening in the spirit. You see where we are in the church? Hallelujah, somebody. Yeah, we can find that the crumbs you're talking about, whatever, whatever thing you releases to me at this time. By way of mercy, if you cause my child to be delivered to Jesus, it is the bread of life. Because he is the bread of life. Do you understand it? And so we know that Jesus eventually healed this person. Because he simply said that faith. Huh? Through that faith, may the child be made whole. That means this woman received the crumbs. Are you understanding it now? The crumbs of the bread now is not talking about the ministration from the priest. That is what the bread is. Of course, Jesus even said it's the bread of life. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Amen. Praise the living of somebody. 
Hallelujah. So this is a place, sorry, that we can always put together and find out what crumbs means, what bread means, and why Lazarus has to be at the gates because he's not recognized. I want you to see that you can apply that to Jesus in relation to the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus became Lazarus because the Pharisees would not even allow people to go to Jesus for ministration. It's like Jesus was begging to be recognized. And that's one of the reasons why he used the word Lazarus. Because he just newly raised Lazarus from the grave. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? He was also applying it to himself. Just I applied it to the nations, he was applying it to himself. He had no access to the glory as at that time. Everybody was after the scribes and the Pharisees. He was being despised, he was being rejected, he was being abused and insulted. He was spoken of as using the spirit of Bezebub. Do you know that? So only a few people could come to him. That's how people can hide and come to him. That he might minister to them in the night. People like Nicodemus, they will come in the night. So he was just getting little things from the true words that was supposed to be in Israel. Hallelujah. We're going to identify one or two things. I'm sure you are getting the picture of who the dog is, the crumbs, and the bread. Is it clear? From this parable or the story of this Canaanite woman. You can just get that very clearly. Okay, now let's move on. Now, when Prophet Isaiah was describing the common people of Israel, he said, I would like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6. From the fall of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Hallelujah. Now, in verse 5, it described the priesthood. In verse 6, it described the common people. And he said the common people, they are full of sauce. Now, does it really mean that when you get to Israel, those who are not in the priesthood, those who are not in the eldership or whatever, all their body were full of sauce? Hallelujah. Is anybody following? Did you find that in your Bible? Does it mean when you go to Israel, uh, the common people, it, all of them, they were all full of wounds. Is that what we mean? No. But they were a rejected community or set of people based on the way the priests were carrying on themselves. Do you understand that? They had no recognition, they had no place. In fact, they were not known. Wounds all over. In fact, they ought to be healed. They ought to heal them. Jesus came to heal the broken hearted. But these people were still suffering the same oppression in the eyes and in the midst of these priest people. Now, now, let me give you another story. A man that was leaving Jerusalem to Jericho. Can you see that? Fell among robbers and he was wounded. And the priest came and the Levite came. Can you remember the story? And then somebody else came and they had the good Samaritan. And they binded him up. Anointed him with oil. Paid for the inn. Now when I come back again, I'll pay the balance. That's our resurrection Christ. Fulfilling his glory at the end of the day. Hallelujah. Do you understand this now? So when we're talking about Lazarus full of sores, we're not talking about little wounds in the body. We're talking of a rejected set of people who have no place in the community of people.
people or where we're talking about the common weight of Israel, those who were actually rejected, downtrodden, not recognized. They're full of souls and wounds. Just like that man that fell among the robbers on the way to Jericho. Hallelujah. Are we getting understanding from this? You know, with this one, when you're reading your Bible, the Bible is opening up every day. Praise the living God. So you're not talking of some wounds on your body that uh, somebody is going to help some days. Put plaster and put iodine and put uh, uh, blue vitrol. Huh? And treat with other things. It's not talking about that. Men who are rejected in the society, the outcasts of the society. There are people who are full of sores and wounds. They are seen as dogs begging for existence, begging to be helped, but there is no help. Hallelujah. Is it clear? Now, can you see what a cross, sores, and dog stands for? In their literal sense, am I correct? Okay. In their literal sense, as in Isaiah 1 6, this verse speaks of Judah's punishment for his sins. Now, the liturgy of the church applies them to the suffering of the Messiah, and this is very, very important to us. Amen. Praise the living God. The source there, like we find in Isaiah 1 6, speaks of the people they are suffering their impoverishments. Are described as souls and womb and no one to heal. Hallelujah. Then in the church liturgy, it is seen to represent the Messiah. And that is very accurate as well. And which I'm about to prove to you from the scriptures as well. Praise the living God. Now, I would like you to turn to the book of Psalm 22. Let me show you now how it applies to Jesus. That is why I said you can find that this passage is not just only talking about the Gentiles. It is simple application of the damned children and the rejected set of people in the community. In fact, the Bible says Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. Psalm 22. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read a few verses there. For instance, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who said this? Why did he say it? Hallelujah. That's mighty 27, verse 46. Did you get it? Amen. Go to verse 9. Oh, okay, let's, huh? Verse 8, okay. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. Seeing he delighted in him. Who said this? Was it the Pharisees? Hmm? Hello? One of the soldiers that crucified Jesus. Do you understand it now? I'm trying to make you understand that this passage is speaking about Jesus Christ. Okay. What's the next verse we need to consider then? We just read verse 8 now. Uh, let's take verse 16. Then I'll be okay. 
having understood that this delayed by Jesus. Said those have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my foot. What should this be referring to? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So in the true sense, where do you find the source of the wounds? The hands, the feet, and the sides of Jesus. So is the Lazarus. Are you getting that? <laughs> Amen. Here he turned the language and said, The gods have compassed me about. These are people who do not know God now because the Bible says, If they had known, can you get it now? If they have known the child or the son of glory, they would not have done what? Crucify him. That means they didn't know who they were dealing with. They were dogs in this context. And said they compassed him. And when he said the dogs licked my souls, what are we talking about? They bruised him on the hands, on the feet, and on the side. These are the dogs. So here's the Lazarus. That has wound all over his body. Praise the living God. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I'm sure you know this is not theology, is it? <laughs> this is Bible study. Read Bible study. Hallelujah. Okay. <sighs> so you see. When we are talking about dogs, firstly, it represents the ordinations that were not in the covenant of blessing of Israel. They have been the Lazarus seeking for heavenly help from this blessed priesthood of Israel. And also, it applies to Jesus. He was more or less at the message of the religious Pharisees and scribes of that day, who had a good crowd. Following them to listen to them as compared to the little flock that was following Jesus to hear him. Can you remember that? Blessed are you, little flock, for God is the kingdom of God. He never had a crowd, he had a little flock. Hallelujah. The little flock here stands for the crumbs. That we are falling from the rich man's table of blessings. They continue to lick up his souls because they will not only step, I mean, stop people to go to him, but we do everything possible to put him to what? To shame. And finally nail him to where? To the cross. In all of this, we can see that this story is not just talking of things to come in the future. But as it applies to the people of the days of Jesus, so also can it be applied to the now as well. Praise the living of somebody. So we are dealing with a reality. A parable that has its glory even now. It's not something that is going to happen when people die. You see... <laughs> Sometimes when I listen to my brother, my, my brother in the faith has got the evangelical. I remember when one of our late brothers came, I mean one of our brothers came to town, was it last year? One of these great evangelists that came from, they had a meeting at uh, Refinery Road. Remember that? It was Lazarus and the rich man. Eh? 
many of you were in that place? Lazarus and the rich man. And when I listen to this thing, sometimes I bleed in my spirit. You see, how the church gets confused because of great power that flows through certain individuals without understanding that this is nothing but gifts. And because of these giftings in them, they delve into God's word, according to Timothy and Paul to Timothy, desiring to be teachers, not knowing what they teach or what they affirm. Anytime they go out to preach for people to repent, it is Lazarus and the rich man. How horrible hell can look like. By the grace of God, as we progress, I will show you the tongues, I will show you the torments, I will show you the five brethren. They are all literal. You will find them. Very plain. Jesus was speaking to people who understood what he was saying. The church has been fooled, especially the Gentile church. I'll call ourselves the Gentile church. Because Judaism, to this moment, they understood some of the things that Jesus was saying. And if you must agree with me and understand it, Judaism today do not believe in the one you call Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? They are still rich. They are still being blessed because the blessings of God. He added no sorrow and the gift of God are without repentance. As long as they operate the covenant of Abraham, they still have all their riches. They tithe the world, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ as a Messiah. They are still looking for him. He is still to them an outcast. They still crucify him to this moment we are talking about. But that is the same place people go to for Jerusalem pilgrimages. And they come back with olive oil and candles and Bibles and the soil of where Jesus was buried. So that's everything. And when they preach, they tell you about hell. How hell looks like. How hopeless it is. Without even realizing that they are describing themselves in relation to the covenant of Israel. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Hallelujah. God will help us. I say God will help us. How many of you enjoyed what we have just done? Let's give thanks to God.